Um, we still have actually some folks coming in uh, to here at Loring Mill campus. And so if you wouldn't mind, how about scoot toward the middle? Uh, maybe put it, give you a little more incentive. If you want to go to heaven, scoot toward the middle. Uh, that'd be really great just so we have room for everybody. Um, I want to tell you the story that didn't happen on Easter. I want to tell you the story that did not happen on Easter. So it was early on Sunday morning. Peter wakes up, and he's so excited. And he reaches over, and he shakes John. He says, John, John, wake up, wake up, wake up. It's time, it's time. And then Peter and John wake up all the other disciples. Hey, guys, wake up, wake up. It's the day, it's the day, it's the day we've been looking for. And, and they all got dressed real fast, and they went out into the street. It was still dark, and there was Mary and the other Mary, uh, the mother of James and Joseph. And they're there, and they're excited because finally the day they've been looking for for three years, it's finally here, and they're just pumped. And they start making their way to the tomb of Jesus. And pretty soon other people join them. And what starts out is this little trickle, this little group becomes this this big parade. There are people there from when Jesus came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday on the donkey. And then there are people there who heard him teach in the temple and they're all going and you get this buzz, this sense of, of oh my gosh, I can't believe it. The day is finally here. And they get there and Mary goes, I'm so glad we made it. I was afraid we were going to miss it. I was afraid you guys were going to make us late, but we're here. And then they wait and they wait. And as, as dawn starts to break and then the torchlight begins to fade, they see it. The angel descends from heaven and they start to cheer. Yes, 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 yes. And then, and then the angel rolls back the stone and sits on it and kind of grins at him and thumbs up. All right, guys. And then, then they see the light start coming out and they're cheering and they start going, Jesus, 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 Jesus. And the crowd gets louder and louder and the light comes out and then there's Jesus and then they start to erupt and oh, it's amazing. And Peter runs up and he grabs Jesus and he spins him around and says, you did it, you did it, you did it. You are the man. And then all the others come. Here's man. Magdalene, the other 10 disciples, and they're just, oh, this is fantastic. And somebody says, wait, 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 wait. I've got five loaves and two fish. Let's have a party. And somebody else says, I've got a jug of wine. Do it again, Jesus. Hey, party, Jesus. Everybody's coming up to him and saying, it's amazing. You demand, you demand, you demand. That's the story that didn't happen. <laughs> Do you know why it didn't happen? because nobody thought he was coming back to life. And you would have thought, wouldn't you? You would have thought that after he had predicted three times, three times, I'm gonna go to Jerusalem, I'm gonna be betrayed, they're gonna crucify me, and then I'll rise again. And after all of that comes true, like he was betrayed, and he did get crucified, and you would have thought somebody would have shown up Sunday morning and said, well, just in case, all the other stuff came true, just in case, maybe we ought to be there just to see what might happen. Why were they not there? I mean, these guys, they had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus for, for three years. They had seen him do miracles. They had actually seen him not once, but twice, make somebody who was dead come back to life. They should have clicked. It, 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 should, have, it should have made sense to them, but it didn't. Why? Because they were afraid. They were afraid. They were afraid if they showed up and, and the guards saw them, 
that they would get arrested. They, they were afraid that, that they would get in trouble with the law. They were afraid that they would spend time in jail. They were afraid that they might even be crucified themselves. Does your fear ever keep you from the miracle of the resurrection? Does your fear ever keep you from the miracle of the resurrection? So I want to tell you the real story of Easter. It is a story of people who were afraid and how they reacted to the miracle. So if you have a Bible, open it to Matthew 28. Matthew 28, we're going to look at the first 10 verses, section by section. We'll also put these verses on the screen. They'll appear in the bottom of the screen if you're watching us online. After the Sabbath, at the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. And there was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. So it's early in the morning. Here comes Mary Magdalene, the one that Jesus had driven out seven demons from, and then Mary, the other Mary, where she's called, probably the one referred to in Matthew 27, the mother of James and Joseph. And they're coming to the tomb. Why? Well, the other gospels will tell us that they're coming there to anoint his body. They have been there when Jesus died. They were there when he was buried. And now they alone, just the women, show up on this Sunday morning. how devoted they are to Jesus, even though he's dead. So let me ask you, how devoted are you to Jesus? Are you devoted to him even when things are not going your way? Are you devoted to Jesus even when life isn't working out according to plan? Are you devoted to Jesus even when it seems like everything has come to a halt and you don't know what you're going to do next? Are you still devoted to Jesus then? And there is a violent earthquake. This is probably an aftershock from the earthquake that happened on Good Friday. And then we're told that an angel descends and his appearance is like lightning. His clothes are brilliant white. And we picture angels as feminine, right? I mean, that's the way you always see them depicted. They have a halo. They have Clairol, number five, hair. They have these white robes and these, these wings. And, and they just look so sweet and nice. And people say, oh, I just love my guardian angel. In the Bible, every time an angel shows up, people are scared to death. Because angels are warriors. Angels are, are the general's messengers. And the first time an angel appears, he always has to say, don't be afraid. Look, I know you're scared. Just chill for a minute. I've got a message from God for you. Angels are warriors, messengers. And you've got to love this, that the angel rolls back the stone and then he just sits on it. It's like, I, this is not in the Bible, but I think he's grinning because he knows what's about to happen. And the temple guards who are guarding the tomb they're so afraid of him, the angel, they become like dead men. I want you to savor Matthew's irony that the very alive guards are guarding a tomb of a dead man, but then they become like dead men who's guarding the one, who's no long, who, who are no longer guarding the one who's now alive. You see the irony. 
We're told by people who study this kind of thing that when you're afraid, you generally have one of three reactions. You are either uh, going to take flight, run away, you fight, or you freeze. They freeze. They faint. Now, why? You know, they're there to do a job. Their job is to prevent the disciples from stealing the body. And they probably thought they could pull it off just by being intimidating. Some of you, some of you have pulled guard duty in your day, right? And if you ever pulled guard duty, you were given a gun and you were told, keep an eye out and kind of look fierce and that'll be enough. And maybe that's what they thought. They thought, hey, we're here, we're powerful, we're in control, we're the ones with the swords and the spears and the shields, and there's enough of us to hold off any band of misbegotten disciples who think they might could steal a body. They think they're in control. But guess what? They're not. But isn't this what we do? We spend so much of our time trying to pretend like we're in control, like we get to control our lives, Uh, John Ortberg, one of my heroes, says, you know, we spend a lot of our time constructing this idea that we have our own little kingdom. In our own little kingdom, we get to be in charge. In our own little kingdom, we get to call the shots. In our own little kingdom, we get to decide what's right and wrong and what's best for us. But then life crashes in on you and on me, and we are reminded, hey, we're not in control. Our control is really very small. And you know this, you've experienced this, because you, you've gone to the doctor's office and, and the doctor says, I, I'm sorry, there's, there's nothing else we can do. And what's the first thing you want to say when the doctor says that? Don't you want to say, what do you mean there's nothing left to do? What, what do you mean you can't do anything? Come on. Come on, I want something else to be done. Or when your spouse says, I'm leaving. And what do you want to do? You want to say, wait, 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 wait you can't leave. I forbid you to leave. How's that work out? Or when the boss calls you into the office and says, um, sorry, don't know how to tell you this, but you're fired. You can't fire me. I've worked here for 30 years. I'm four years away from retirement. How can you fire me? And the boss says like this. And you find out you're not in control. Control of our world is an illusion. And that's why we spend so much time trying to fabricate this idea of a little kingdom where we get to be in charge And our first reaction to losing control is fear. When we lose control, we're afraid. And we want things to change. And we we will sometimes desperately try to reassert control. We will fight. We will try to deny that we're afraid. But that's what happens. Dale Brunner, the New Testament scholar, says, the message of the resurrection cannot be heard where there is fear. And today, if fear is controlling your life, if fear is a factor, it's keeping you from the miracle of the resurrection. That's why I feel sorry for these soldiers. I mean, they're there. The greatest miracle in the history of humanity is happening, and their fear causes them to miss it. Now, I want you to notice that Matthew does not tell us about the resurrection. None of the Gospels do. And, 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 and that's why I trust the Bible, because it doesn't try to color up the event. You know, we would all uh, want more descriptions. We would want, and suddenly, 
the heart that had been still for three days began to beat and the cadaver became a body and all of a sudden he was reanimated and he comes back to life and he sits up and then he gets up and he folds his clothes up neatly and lays them there on the shelf where he had laid dead. And then all the mothers would turn to all of their children under 18 and say, see, Jesus folded his clothes. So why don't we get this kind of description of the moment? Why does God leave this gap? I mean, he gives us the appearances of Jesus. He gives us the burial of Jesus. Why doesn't he fill in the middle? I think, I think, it's because God wants to leave room for faith. You know, God is not gonna put it in your face and say you have no choice but to believe this because love always allows room for choice. And God will not force faith on you. And some of you actually know that, you're living that because maybe your grandma wants to force faith on you or maybe your, your spouse wants to force faith on you, but God is not gonna do it. It is your choice whether or not you believe in this amazing miracle of resurrection. And so now the angel gives the women a mission. Go and tell the disciples he has risen. Tell them, go to Galilee and you will see him. When the resurrection power of Jesus touches your life, a mission comes with it. And the mission will be go tell. Tell what you've seen, tell what you've heard, tell what you've experienced. This is not a church program. This is not a, a staff-led initiative. This is simply going and saying to the disciples, this is what we saw. Saw this angel, there's an empty tomb. He told us Jesus is risen. Go and tell. There's a mission given. And how do you think the women felt when they heard this? Uh, Matthew actually tells us how they felt. We're, we see in verse 8, so the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. I love the honesty of the Bible. It tells us they're still afraid. It's not like just hearing from an angel wipes out their fears. They're still afraid. But they also have great joy. Okay, so here's a news bulletin for all of the men in the room. You can have more than one emotion at a time. And the women have it. They're, they're, they have the fear and they have the joy. And they're running. And then the moment happens in verse 9. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid, Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. This is not the spirit of Jesus. This is not the ghost of Jesus. This is the real body of Jesus that can walk and talk, and you cannot actually put your fist through him. He is real. He has a body, and he's risen. And what are his first words? So it was Easter Sunday morning, and a pastor was doing a children's sermon and all the children had come gathered up alongside of him. And he was telling the story of the resurrection. And he said to the children, does anybody know what Jesus' first words were after he was resurrected? One little girl raises her hand and says, I know, I know, I know. And he said, yes. What were Jesus' first words after he was raised from the dead? And she said, he said, ta-da! Ta-da! 
not quite. <laughs> Jesus says greetings. And the equivalent in English would be something like, hi. It's kind of understated, don't you think? I've been dead for three days. Hi. And let me teach you a little bit on language here. Um, most cultures, most languages have a word for greeting or saying, hi, I see you, that actually is another word uh, that has kind of lost its original meaning and now has adopted this new meaning. So, for example, in Hebrew, if you see somebody, you would say shalom, which means peace, but now it's just hi. Uh, our word, hello, is from a French word, which actually means, whoa, there. <laughs> Stop, I want to talk to you. And, and the word in Greek that Jesus uses actually means rejoice. Rejoice. It's a word that means both high and rejoice. It's, it's kind of this wonderful slamming together of two meanings. Hey, rejoice. Rejoice. I've beaten death. I've beaten death. Jesus is saying to the women, hey, let your joy drive out your fear. Start living in the joy. And you see, when you get all the joy, it gives you hope. That's the, that's the verse we're trying to memorize this year. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may be filled with hope as it overflows from the Holy Spirit. You've got to love that verse. Because it says, when joy and peace from God fill your heart, hope springs and it controls your life. And where there is hope and joy and peace, fear dies. It has been sprayed with the herbicide of hope. And they take hold of Jesus' feet and they worship him. Now this was the custom in the ancient world. When you came before a king for the first time, you would come before him and you would grab his feet, which means you had to get down on your hands and your knees and you grab his feet and it was your way of saying, I recognize I live in your kingdom. I recognize you're the king, not me. I recognize you're in control, not me. So why are these women grabbing Jesus' feet? They're saying it's your kingdom that matters. They're saying your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You're the one in charge, not us. Have you made that acknowledgement? I mean, have you ever paused and intentionally said, Jesus, I recognize you're the king. It's your kingdom that matters. I've tried running my own little kingdom. It's not working so well. I've tried making my own choices. I'm in a mess. I've really screwed up my life. So would you please forgive me? And I want you to be in charge. I want you to be my Lord. I give my life to you. If you've never done that, today would be a really good day to give your life to Jesus. And then Jesus repeats the message of the angel, don't be afraid. You see, the resurrection means fear doesn't have to rule your life. Jesus has conquered our great enemies, sin, Satan, death, because the destination of sin is death. It's destruction. It's decay. When sin is controlling your life, you are in a state of decay. But if you follow Jesus, it means that Jesus has the last word in your life. 
that, that you are going to be able to live in grace and, and in hope. You're gonna live with forgiveness and strength. You're gonna be guided by the Holy Spirit. It means that heaven is real for you. It does not mean that you will have a trouble-free life. It means God has the last word in your life, which means you don't have to focus so much time and energy on trying to prove yourself worthy of being loved. I know this is something I still struggle with. Many Christians I know struggle with it. We think we have to be good enough for God to love. Here is the news you need to know. You're not good enough. You're not worthy. And God loves you. God loves you. He loves me. The more you're connected to his love, the more you can reject twisted human expectations that others place on you and that you place on yourself. And you can simply hear the grace that you are his child. And Jesus again gives them a mission, just like the angel, almost word for word, go and tell. But there's a difference, a small difference, but a huge change. Jesus says, Go tell my brothers. You remember that the angel had said, go tell his disciples. But Jesus says, go tell my brothers. Why? Because Jesus wants his disciples to know that even though they have failed him, even though they didn't show up, even though they denied him and they all ran away, Jesus wants his disciples to know they're still in the family. Let me just tell you the truth. You are going to fail Jesus. Even if you followed him, even if you've been baptized, even if you would say, I have Jesus in my heart, here's what I know about you. You're still flawed. And if you think you're not flawed, let me sit down and talk to your family. They'll help you see it. And Jesus says, your failure does not govern my relationship or my love. In fact, Their failure, the disciples' failure, has not changed the relationship. His death and resurrection have changed it. See, I I think a lot of us, we carry this fear. And and we're afraid that somebody's going to find out that we're not all put together, that we're not all that, that we try to pretend that we are. We're not all of that. And that brings shame, and shame begins, brings fear and, and we're afraid that somebody's gonna find out, that somebody's gonna find out that we're really not who we claim to be, but Jesus already knows, and Jesus says, I love you. And I think that's why church has to be a place of grace. Well, we have to be the place that says, hey, we're not all put together, and we've all got stuff, and we've all got issues, but God still loves us, and God is changing us one day at a time to make us more like him. And why does Jesus ask his disciples to go to Galilee? You know, Luke and John tell us that Jesus is going to appear to his disciples that day, but but both Mark and, and Matthew really point to this. They say, go to Galilee. Now that's not a simple trip, that's three days hard walking. Why does Jesus tell his disciples to go to Galilee? Because it would be so easy for them to let their failures keep them in their fears. 
And Jesus wants them to do this journey so they can know they're still followers. So they can know, yes, sorry, we messed up, but we're willing to do this three-day walk just to show that, yeah, we, we still believe. And, and folks, that's why Jesus asked you to do some things. And sometimes things you don't want to do, sometimes things you don't feel qualified to do, sometimes things that you think you are past, Jesus still will ask you to do some of those things because he wants you to know that you will still obey. So if this is your first time watching, first time here, I really do want you to get this, that Jesus has come and he's come so your fears don't have to rule you or control you. He's come instead so that you can have a different kind of life. And you don't have to be perfect to be a follower of Jesus. What you have to do is give your life to Jesus and say, I'm in. This is the real story of Resurrection Day. It's not just this, this time when everybody gets it and there's a happy ending. There are people who are frozen in fear, and then there are people who are afraid, but there's joy beginning to creep in because they are experiencing the miracle of resurrection. And you may say, well, so what? So what? Well, I want to invite you to pray a prayer today. It's a simple prayer. You don't even have to be a believer to pray it, but it goes like this. Heavenly Father, I give my fear to you. Let me experience the miracle of resurrection. See, even if you're not a believer, you can pray a prayer like this, and you can ask our Heavenly Father to help you with your fear. You say, well, I'm not even sure there is a God. Well, why don't you try it? What do you got to lose? See if he will actually calm your fears and show you that he is at work. Now, some of you, you you're believers and you already believe that there is a God and, 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 and yet fear still holds you back. I want to challenge you to start praying this prayer. I want to challenge you to really think about what does it mean for there to be a resurrection, that it, it can mean you don't have to be held down by that fear. And I want to encourage you to take that step. And let God show you the signs of love and grace and mercy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness that he is pouring over your life. Maybe even today, invite Jesus to be your savior. Do y'all know the, anyone who has crazy dreams? Yeah. And then they feel like they need to tell you about them. Yeah, I see some of you looking, a couple of you pointing. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I got to admit, I'm one of those crazy people. I have, I have these technicolor dreams. I don't have to go to the movies. I just have to fall asleep. I have these weird dreams. And um, I'm going to spare you the details, but I am going to tell you about one dream I had about two weeks ago. I, I had this real intense dream where I dreamed that, that there was this very real threat that my family was going to be taken away from me that my kids were gonna be taken away, my in-laws were gonna be taken away, my, my grandson was gonna be taken away, my wife was gonna be taken away, and I would be left alone, and I would never see them again. It was a nightmare. And I'm just sitting there, I can remember in my dream feeling afraid, just feeling this fear of, oh no, my family's gonna be taken away from me, and then there's this other voice in my dream. I know some of you are thinking, 
Hey, that's a weird dream, and now you're hearing voices. Clay, here's the name of a good psychiatrist. <laughs> but I started hearing this other voice, and the other voice started saying, it's just a dream. It's just a dream. Your family's not going away from you. They're there. You're going to see them again. All you have to do is wake up. All you have to do is wake up. Don't be afraid. It's not real. And then I woke up. And it was one of those wake up, you know, wake up from a dream and you kind of have a hangover, not that kind of hangover, a different kind of hangover. And you're, you're just kind of hungover and going, was that real? What really happened? And then all of a sudden you're going, oh my gosh, that was just a dream. It wasn't real. And here's what I want you to know today. The fear you have, the fear that dominates your life, whatever it is, however it controls you, you need to hear the voice that says, no, there is a resurrection. There's a risen savior. He's in the world today. And, and you're going to believe him no matter what men may say and you can see his hand of mercy. You can hear his voice of cheer. None other is so loving, so good, or so dear. You can know that there is a Savior who loves you, forgives you, who walks with you, and you follow him, and it will be the best life ever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the miracle of the resurrection and that all fear is driven out. And Father, whether we're facing fear right now or whether we're facing fear in, in the week to come, will you please, please guide us? Please help us? Drive out the fear with the joy of the resurrection and let the hope of Jesus grow like wildfire in our hearts. And pray for people who don't know Jesus that today they would take that simple next step of saying, Lord, I believe. Forgive me. I want to follow you and help them, Father. I ask all of this in your son's name. Amen.